0: Welcome to the Hope United Church Podcast. We are one church with two locations. For video live streams of our services and more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. We're going to get straight into, into the message this morning. I want to put up the... The title and I think it was interesting. Matthew was speaking about, you know, God's in control of things. Even James said about worrying. God is always in control. And here here's the title. If you want to put that up, Jennifer. Jennifer's my wing woman this morning. Doing a great job. Doing a great job. So God's purpose in all things. This is one of the most quoted scriptures that we're going to be looking at in places like Bible Gateway it's number three on the list number one is John three sixteen, for God so loved the world of course that is what else could it be uh, number two most quoted scriptures Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, for I know the plans I have for you says the Lord mm-hmm. to give you a hope and a future and then there's this scripture now this this scripture is one of the scriptures that I keep coming back to In my life, time and time again, if you probably spoke to me, you'd think this guy only knows one scripture. (laughs) He's milking it a bit here. Um, And it's Romans 8, 28. Let's, Let's put up the scripture. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This is one of the most depressing scriptures in the entire Bible. If you're a heathen, because God works all things for good to those who love God. So if we're not saved, you might have a good life here on earth, but your ultimate destination is not too good. But for us who are saved and who are definitely in Christ, living this life of repentance, he is working all things together for good. But it's for his purpose. Now, I think this this verse stands out and it, it means so much to so many people because It speaks of God's sovereignty. It speaks of how, in the face of all our troubles and everything that we encounter, he is in control. It it brings meaning to the things that seem meaningless in our life. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like if you've been through those times where you just feel you're suffering for the sake of suffering, you're trying to find some sort of purpose, and then you you look and you think, you know, I've lost... It can be family members, jobs, whatever it is. I can't beat the same thing. You just this is just It seems like pointless suffering. Mm. But we know that in all things, yeah. God is using it for his purpose. And it reminds us that his plan is, is way beyond. He sees the full chessboard and he's moving all the pieces and we just see whatever's yeah. directly in front of us. And it's so true. And the truth of this scripture, it elevates the grace of God in our lives. Mm that he would use our mistakes, um, even our sin, if you like, all things together for his good. And it's not a license to go out and do whatever we want. If that's the case, then we need to have a, a look at our salvation and see if we're really saved. But as well, as with any scripture that talks about things going well and things going good, it can be taken way off on the wrong track. You know, the the over-focus in maybe prosperity gospel stuff or charismatic chaos and all that kind of stuff, think about, oh, God's working it for good. There's something good going to come that's good. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's the kind of tools for life Jesus is using everything for good. The, the focus is so much on good that we miss God. And, I mean... You'll, you'll know this. I hate to tell you, but if you're a Christian, if you've got this picture that that things are always going to be rosy and good, that God's going to create this kind of personal bubble around your life, where it never rains and everything's you know everything's a breeze and the sunshine and rainbows, you signed up for the wrong club. <laughs> if you think that you have literally signed up to what you thought was a club, a social club, um, but if you seriously desire to follow Christ, and I know we're doing this church. Um, it isn't going to be plain sailing. But Psalm thirty-four, 19, I've just got it here. Many are the troubles of the righteous. Many are our troubles, the light of God. But the Lord delivers them from them all. Yeah. Not necessarily straight away, because he's got his purpose in it all. God does, and it's not to say we can't look at the good that God does. God does and always does work good in our lives, but it's not for our selfish gain. It's for his greater purpose. So the context of this whole scripture, if you don't know God's purpose, God's purpose in all things, then we go off on a a tangent. You know, this, Pastor Callum um, he posted a quote from uh, Dr. Michael Horton. He's a professor of theology in Westminster Seminary, California. Not London, California. And he, put it, he said this, he said, God is not a supporting actor in your life's movie. Yes. It's God's purpose. We, we we get to be a kind of bit part player. Yes. Somebody says that in the film American Gospel. I can't wait until we watch it together. Honestly, you're going to love it. Um, But this is where all the prosperity stuff gets it wrong, the charismatic chaos. It's the make-me-a-superstar psychological Christianity. Um, It becomes another gospel because it shifts the focus away from what God has done, from what God is doing throughout the whole Bible, what he did through his son, the death and the cross, and now our purpose in that. Um, And it shifts it away, and it puts all the focus on what we can get. If you think of what Pastor Mark's been teaching us, we've been going through the Gospel of John, why did they miss Jesus? They missed Jesus, the Pharisees, the people that were spending all their time looking at the scriptures to see when the Christ would come. They totally missed him because they were too focused on what they could get from Jesus when he was right in front of them. Um, <laughs> he was right in front of them. And if you think about it this way, suffering in our lives, suffering is one of the greatest blessings we can have because it takes us away Because we can all start to edge towards looking for God for stuff because we're sinful and because we're we're in need and because we do need God. He is our provider, but he's not just that. But suffering takes us to the point where we're not getting anything from God. Whilst you're suffering, you're not seeing a result. You're not seeing that him providing for you in that time. It's a time when you, you need to trust in the promise of God's word. You're trusting and God takes you through those trials and those circumstances, not knowing the outcome, but really having faith that in this, God, I know you've got a purpose. I know that you do. And it's not it's not a kind of false faith that tries to conjure up a positive feeling to beat the negative feeling. It, that's I mean, that's rife in, in sort of charismatic church and the modern church, the contemporary church as well. If, if you've ever seen the film Wizard of Oz, you know at the end where, where Dorothy's told, if you just, was it. I can't even do it yeah. clicks, her, clicks her heels together and says there's, there's no place like home there's no place like home and then she'll be whisked back home to is it Kansas? Yeah. It is Kansas thank goodness and it's almost like we're taking God's word to try and po- conjure up a positive feeling when we're feeling inadequate we go I'm fearfully and wonderfully made I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and we're oh, I've got a redneck doing that there <laughs> Oh, goodness. But it's as if we're trying to squeeze God's word in and that's not faith. I mean, There are times where we need to push through and say, no, I'm making a stand. This is what you promised God. I don't see it. Your word is true. That's right. But they're trying to conjure up a feeling stuff. It doesn't, it really doesn't work. It's not good for us. It doesn't help our relationship with God at all. I I remember, um, I quite like wearing glasses now, but... When I first became a Christian, uh, I used to pray because I, I didn't know anything about anything. So I would pray for healing for a, a sore finger, anything. But I used to ask God every morning, I pray God you would heal my eyes. I mean, I'm not, I'm not blind. I can, well, I can almost see you, you know. And with, he's given me glasses, so it's fine. But I used to wake up and some mornings I'd go to the window, open the curtains and it'd be a lovely sunny day. And I'd go, oh, you've healed my eyes then I realised, no, it's sunny, things are just a bit clearer and then I kind of squint to see a licence plate of a car or, or, and I I can't see it, <laughs> I can't see it but it's that, oh, I hope, I hope it's all feelings-based faith I, I actually knew, uh, uh, it was a beautiful soul, a uh, believer um, at one point and he actually, his eyes were healed and I thought, wow, that's amazing because I was in all that stuff at the time and, and they came back a couple of weeks later wearing glasses and I was like... And I I didn't, initially, I don't think I had the courage to go and say to him, but eventually I said, what? I thought your eyes were healed, you know? And and he said, this is, this is, it's actually devastating when you think about it. He says, I know, I know, Fraser, I, I wasn't, I was too much in, this is his words, honestly, I was too much in awe of what God had done. I was too surprised that he'd healed my eyes. So that means I didn't have enough faith, so I lost my healing. And that's, I mean, if that's not what Matthew was speaking about earlier, if that's not works mm-hmm. and being good enough, yeah. being faithful enough, it's, it doesn't look religious because it's faith and it's in the realms of feeling, but it's totally religious. Mm-hmm. I'm not good enough because I've not got enough faith. So that's not what this scripture is about. It's not about trying to go, yes, God will make it for good. And, oh, it's all about me and and, and that kind of damaging faith. But it's about God's purpose and, and We've looked at what it's not and it's, it's totally valid. Our pastor said it and uh, Professor Michael Reeves down at the President of the Union School of Theology he says you, most of the time, a lot of the time, he actually is just teaching error. You've got to teach what it's not before you teach what it is. Otherwise, you, you're going off on the wrong track. Really, in order for this scripture to be an encouragement, the focus has got to be on how and why God's purpose is bigger. Than anything we could possibly be imagined. because if we don't have, if we don't flesh that out a bit, we're just we're just going on a, a whim of a prayer. Why, why is God's purpose sure? Why is He working all things together for good? How is He working all things together for good? You know, it's faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It doesn't come by stirring up a good feeling. It comes by knowing God's God's word better, which is what we get in this church and. His purpose, and I hope through this word, I can try and open it up and just bring it into light. His purpose is so much bigger than what we can ever imagine. you know I, I saw a gentleman who works for you know U version the Bible app, and he was showing me a thing that only U version employees get, and it 's a world map, and it sh- it pings up. John 3.16, boom, 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 boom. As every person who's on the app, on the internet at that moment, because not all people using the app are on the net in that moment, all the scriptures that were getting read around the world, and every time a scripture got read, it put a little dot, a white dot, so that by the time America was just this glowing white mass, and then all bits of the world, all around the world, and you see, I mean, God sees that. God sees every prayer, hears every prayer. I mean, you can't even fathom it. Um, and Paul, if you look at what immediately follows on from the scripture, God uses all things together for good, for his purpose. He then goes on to explain exactly how and why God unfolds that purpose in our lives. And he does pretty well, I've got to say. I mean, it's Apostle Paul here does it, manages to explain God's whole plan of salvation, how he works in our lives and the whole meaning behind it in two verses which is, it's good going, it's good going. So let's look at it. It's Romans 8, 29 to 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. That's God's plan in a nutshell. I used to, I remember coming across this scripture again not long after I was saved and I loved it because it sounded kind of epic and grandiose and thinking, wow, predestined and called and don't know what justified means, don't know what glorified means, but I liked it, I liked, like when I spoke the last time, the list that Peter puts that we can have self-control and love and all this, I liked that kind of, this is what, this is it, this is the great thing, but I really didn't know what it meant. Um, And unless we know what it means, it's not going to benefit us at all. So let's unpack it a bit and just briefly go into this and it's really beautiful when you look at it because it's filled with terms that, that they're, not, they're not in our everyday language. If you know, Before you're a Christian or unless you're a lawyer or something you're not going to use the word justif- justify or unless you're a Christian. Salvation and, uh, there's so many words that are not in our everyday language that are in this. So the first thing that God does in his purpose for our lives is he foreknew us So before the beginning of time, before anything was made, you and I, anything, it's not just that God knows everything. He already knew we would exist. So that goes without saying, but the fact that he foreknew us here means he set his love upon us. He marked us out to be recipients of his love. It's like winning the the divine lottery. Why would God choose us? I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy on. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion on, says the Lord. He he said to Moses, he marked us out to be saved. Why? Grace. Grace alone. And then he didn't leave it there. He then predestined. So again, this is before you and I exist. This is before creation. He then predestined us. That means he planned out our life. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of our son so that we would be saved and we would live a life where we get more and more like Jesus every single day. And it's not an if or a maybe. It's he, he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. It's happening. You know, the God who knows the end from the beginning decided that we will grow into the image of his son. So it's like goodbye inadequacy. God's working all things together for the good. He's already decided it. It's, his mind is made up, if you like. Um, but then if we step into time now, this is before time began, we step into time and then God starts to call us. I remember being, I lived in Perth at the time when I was when I was saved. Um, and there was a period, about three years, when I went from complete atheist, because my mum and dad were atheists, to, boom, I had a belief in God. Because I met a gentleman who started opening up God's word to me and it was, how I would go from completely, to, to mocking people that, that love God, to totally mocking them, and uh, to how I would suddenly go, it was because God had started to call me. He started to draw me. And that word called there is, is used when a shepherd calls his sheep. If you think about it, when, when Jesus said in John ten twenty seven and 28, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give eternal life to them. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So even though I was a complete atheist and totally on this crazy, I mean, long hair, living a crazy life, guitar, still had that guitar. That's the only thing that's come along in the big (laughs) amplifier. Um, God started to call me and because he had already predestined me and you from the beginning of time, from before time began, I was already marked out to be one of his sheep. You were already marked out to be one of his sheep. And as soon as the shepherd started to call, you knew his voice instinctively. It wasn't this Armenian kind of, oh, I responded to God and it was something that I did. No, no, God had already marked you out. You were already one of his sheep. And when the shepherd called, you recognised his voice and you started to follow. Mm -hmm. It's the most beautiful picture ever. Um, And then thereafter, after that period of three years, I started to get really convicted about the life I was living. I mean, doing crazy stuff I won't get into, but, you know, rock and roll lifestyle. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> rock and roll lifestyle. And I knew I couldn't go anymore. And I asked the gentleman who had uh, been talking to me about God's word. And he had his own battles. It definitely wasn't him that I was drawn to. It was God's word that I was drawn to, because there was nothing really desirable in him. And I asked him, am I going to go to heaven no, and if I, if I hey, no, I didn't even say that. I said, "What's this heaven thing all about?" A Bit more pride than that, because really, what I was asking is, I, I don't think I'm going to get there. I know the life I'm living, I and mean, that whole three years, I never knew what Jesus did in the cross. I never knew anything about it, but yet when when this, they then told me that he says, "No, no, Fraser, you're going to heaven. Jesus died for you in the cross, and everything bad that you've done and are going to do, he took the punishment for it." My heart just melted it's like oh my goodness that was an experience that was a feeling and that's that's the next part of the process we're justified which is like a legal term but we receive what Christ did for us on the cross we're made right with God we're made just before God because of Christ and him alone and faith alone through the word of God alone and then starts the last thing that Paul says about God's overall purpose and how he's working things for good, is that he glorified us. Those whom he did, all those other steps, he glorifies them. So we get more and more like Jesus every day. The light of the the righteous burns brighter and brighter, it says in one of the Psalms, I believe it is. Just keeping my head there. And ultimately, not only do we get more and more like Jesus here on earth, but when we're given a new resurrected body, We'll be totally free from all the sin and the weight and the baggage. We groan. The scripture before the one that we're looking at just now talks about all creation groaning. We're groaning on the inside. We don't even know how to pray as we should pray. But yet, the Spirit helps us in our infirmities. We are going to be part of ruling this planet with Christ. And we'll look at that. And with the time we have left, I I want us to try and get a sense of the enormity, the scale behind God's purpose, just how in the detail he is through the whole Old Testament, how he's hinting that he's going to bring his son. And then in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, he's, he tells us what he's going to do when, when Jesus comes back from genesis to revelation we see you know if you take the bible as a whole because we can off, we can also, we can f- focus in on an individual scripture or book but if you take the bible as a, as a whole which is a tough thing to do you see the same story unfolding and interweaving and repeating in the same way that a perfect holy god would save a fallen human race and he's coming again to restore his creation back to the way it was in the garden of eden that's it That's what he's doing. But it's been thousands of years and God taking so many people and using all things for good in their life to bring about that purpose. And his purpose is solid. I heard um, Sinclair Ferguson, a wonderful, wonderful teacher, speaking really eloquently about this at the Scottish Reformed Conference a few weeks ago. Um, And he talked about how the... And Matthew mentioned that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when I, I hear that, I think, yeah. So I focus on the sin bit. And you probably do as well. All have sinned. Yes, yeah, it's me. I'm, I'm wretched. And it's true. It's true. But what have we fallen from? We've fallen from the glory. Adam and Eve in the garden, before they fell, made perfectly in their likeness and image of God. You know, no sin. They They... We're bearers of the glory of God. That's the way it was supposed to be. We're not supposed to be these messed up, selfish, sinful human beings. And eventually, we're not going to be these messed up, selfish human beings. We're going to be perfect reflections of our creator when he comes back again. And then he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth, a new universe and a new earth that we, if you like, Adam and Eve's task in the garden was to expand it. The garden was this paradise on earth, but it was contained. It, was a, it wasn't the whole the earth, and they were to expand that garden paradise and make the glory of God and encapsulate the whole planet, if you like. And that's exactly what we're going to do when God comes back, when he makes a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to, with Christ, expand that godly paradise right around the planet so that eventually... We can give it back to God and say, "Here's what we've done with what you gave us." It's the most beautiful picture, and Sinclair Ferguson talks about it so well. It's the most epic story ever told. It's the answer to every, every philosophy and every question the human heart has. You know, all our trials, our suffering, our mistakes, our ego, our good times, bad times. I know I've had my share. That's a Led Zeppelin reference, James. (laughs) Um, I wrote that and I thought, I don't know if many people are going to get that. (laughs) I knew James would, so we're okay. (laughs) God's using all these things for his purpose. I don't want to go too deep with the time here that we've got, but if you consider this, consider the prophecies that Christ would come. And just, just to get an idea of how, you know, We're not just going, oh yes, it's happening. And we're not conjuring up that feeling of faith. And oh yes, we're just getting excited. It's not that. When you see how sure God's word is. How detailed it is. When you get to that point in your faith. There's there's no other way it could be. God's purposes are sure. They're set. They're, They're set in stone. They ain't changing. Which means my salvation ain't changing. And it's the most blessed assurance. Truly, truly, truly. So... The prophecies that Christ would come, this is the detail that God goes to. Our pastor mentioned that 220 direct prophecies of what Christ would come on earth to do. That's a conservative estimate, by the way. Because if it depends how you look and what is a prophecy about Christ coming in the Old Testament. So just Old Testament here. If you look at like the types of Christ, the parallels between, you know, Moses' life and, and Jesus and, and Joseph's, Joseph's life and Jesus, the types of Christ all the way through the Bible, you can get up to about 3,000 verses, 3,000 verses that reference Christ in some way. I remember, um, Saying saying to my son, I said, Would it be cool? I'm trying to try to generate a bit of faith in him. I said, Would it be cool if the Bible predicted like five things that Jesus would do like a thousand years before he came? And he went, Oh, that would be pretty cool. I said, What if it was what if it was ten things? He went, Pfft. And we kept going up so fifty. No. A hundred. No, and then eventually I said, two hundred and twenty, and he mind was exploded but it is true that's how in the detail it is and this is this is exactly what the what jesus said to the pharisees remember that we're missing them completely that we've been learning in the gospel of john miss them completely says in john 5 39 we've been there already in in the series you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life but it's these that testify about me i love 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 the account, I heard Pastor Callum speak to the youth about it, of when the risen Christ, he hadn't yet ascended to heaven, he went and visited two of the disciples as they were walking to, to, to Emmaus. And it says here that beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. So he looked at the Moses and the prophets. So basically what it's saying is through the whole Old Testament, he showed them all the prophecies concerning himself. And if you think about it, these disciples, these two disciples were an all-time low. They just lost their their best friend they'd walked with for 3 years. You know, so discouraged, lost their leader, lost their their savior, lost their hope and everything. Imagine how it's, it's bad enough when you lose a loved one. Then when you they basically lost their, their faith. If you like And if you ever felt like that, I I know I have, you're flying high with God, then suddenly, you know, something happens, whatever it may be, and you're just, you're falling apart. I thought God was doing something in my life, and it sounds a bit Armenian, and it is, but the irony is that even sometimes it can be caused by the smallest of things, he or she doesn't like me, or I made a mistake, or this message isn't going as well as I thought it would, whatever it might be, whatever it might be. But in reality, doubt and unbelief and a myriad and all sorts of negative emotions are are things that we need to deal with and that we go through. And Jesus, what he did here, it was he turned their eyes back onto him, onto Jesus revealed in scripture, to show these disciples the reality of God's purpose. I mean, they'd just seen their saviour, their teacher, their rabbi, die the most horrible death on a cross and all hope was lost. But then Jesus points to the Old Testament and says, yeah, there was a purpose in that. Oh, I love it. I love it. And the thing is, I wonder what he showed them. It it says he showed them all things, so I would imagine these scriptures would be in it. Maybe he showed them Psalm 21. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And immediately the disciples are thinking, that's what he said on the cross just before he died. They They pierced my hands and my feet. For my garments they cast lots. And they're going, a thousand years before our saviour just died on the cross the other day, three days ago. A thousand years, there it is, written in God's word. That's where real strengthening of our faith comes from. Maybe he showed them Isaiah 53. He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows, we sang it earlier, acquainted with grief. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising for our Peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Think about how they would be encouraged by that and where they were at that time. Maybe it went right back to the very start of the Bible, in Genesis 3. So Adam and Eve just sinned. Because of that sin, the whole human race are cursed. And God speaks to, the, to, to Eve and says that her seed would eventually crush the serpent's head. The serpent that led them into sin in the first place, the enemy, the devil, would crush Jesus who would come, would crush the serpent's head. And in turn, his heel would be bruised. Speaking of the death, he would suffer on the cross. This is the very first prophecy of Christ. If you think these disciples that right through from the very beginning of the garden, from the moment man fell, God knew he was sending his son. In fact, before before creation, he knew he was sending his son. And it's when they got a sense of that grandness, that epicness of God's purpose, that's what tested their faith. That's what purified their faith. That's what gave them the strength to keep going on. This is the very first. That that prophecy there is called the the Proto-Evangelium, which means first gospel. That's a John MacArthur special right there. Okay, And now if you're... You get home from church if your friends ask you what you've been learning in church today. If they're heathen friends, they probably won't ask you at all. But if, nonetheless, if somebody asks you what you've been learning, you can say, well, today we were studying the Proto-Evangelium. Ooh. (laughs) It's really fancy. But the point is, the point is, Jesus could have encouraged these mourning, depressed, forlorn disciples eh, by telling them they were doing great. Patting the back and maybe even giving them a wee healing or two or... Increased their wealth because you know, God can do that kind of thing. Just basically insert any false teaching into that bracket, he could have done those things, but of course, he didn't. He showed, he pointed to the Father's greater purpose in Scripture that God is using all things together for the good of those who love Him. You see it, you see it in the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph had a dream because God's word wasn't written yet, so. That was the equivalent of God's word. It did later become God's word. Joseph had a dream that he would rule and be above his brothers and all the rest of it. But then he was betrayed. He was sold into slavery. When things started looking good, then they looked bad again. He was in prison for years and years. But he continued serving God faithfully till the point where he did, you know, God did work things for good. God set him over his brothers so he would save many souls. And I don't think for a minute, this is my imagination, I don't see that Joseph would have known exactly what was going on, but would Joseph have known that because he remained faithful to God and because God worked all things together for the good, you know, what the enemy intended for the harm, if you like, God used for the saving of many souls, because Joseph became the ruler in Egypt, that meant his brothers could come and stay in Egypt in a time of famine, which meant the Israelites 400 and odd years later would be many in that land. Then Moses would take them out of that land through God, then enter the promised land, and because of that, Jesus would be able to come. And because of that, we would be able to be saved. The whole of creation could be redeemed and things could go back to being the garden paradise again. (laughs) I don't don't think he might have had that realisation, but that's the truth. You think about William Gibson Sloan, one of the Scottish missionaries that went to the Faroe Islands, Pastor Mark spoke about him a couple of weeks ago. It took, in the 1800s, I think we've got a picture of him there. Um, he, he took the gospel there and for 13 years saw no fruit, no conversions. 13 years. I mean, that's pretty much nearly as long as I've been saved. It, it's crazy. And then eventually one person got saved. And a year later, four people, but that was it nothing much to speak of. It wasn't until years later in the 1920s and 30s that his son, along with a Faroese man, Daniel Danielson, who was converted in an open-air preaching in Glasgow, eventually got the ball rolling and they saw great revival in the Faroe Islands. And if, to the point that the Faroe Islands started sending out missionaries to other places like uh, Greenland and Iceland and Denmark. But And if you think, our pastor's now there. You know, God... God's work is continuing, even though that man never saw it. And we don't always see the fruit of our continuing to be faithful. Let us not be weary in doing good, for in due time, in God's time, we will reap a reward if we don't grow faint. So, just to, to end and close, we've run out of time this morning. We can see from all these things that how certain God's plan and purpose is. It's way, way beyond us. The thing is, if we put the emphasis on our part and our gift and what we're doing to accomplish our God-given destiny, it places way too much of a burden on us, way too much importance on our own little part. It's almost as if we're saying, God's plan for creation, you know, this the omnipotent all-knowing God, if I don't get my bit right, it's all going to fall apart. <laughs> No. It's, it's not got anything wrong yet. And it's, it's easy to say that, but in the hardest of times when you're really struggling and you, and you can't see it, and you think, you start to doubt things, but in light of God's overall plan, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. God's mind is made up. Okay, this is the kind of newsflash here. He wins. Yeah. yeah? We are saved if indeed we're in Christ. Sin is is overcome. Death is swallowed up in victory. We will be resurrected. We will reign with Christ and live with him in a new heaven and new earth in eternity to come. These are absolutes. Truly, the work is finished and the end is written. God will finish what he started, not only in us in you and I, but in all of creation. His word will not return empty. And Paul sums it up like this. After his thoughts about God using all things together for good, for his purpose, and then seeing how it unfolds in our life in all those terms, he then goes on to say this, if you want to put up the last scripture, Jennifer. Romans 8, 31, 35 and 39. What then shall we say to these things? What then shall we say to the fact that God's working this amazing, huge purpose in our life? If God is for us, who can be against us? There's a misused scripture, if ever there was one. But in the light of what we've heard this morning, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, being exposed, basically, for who you really are, or peril, or sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Remember, he foreknew, he decided to love us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, nothing you can encounter on this planet will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't matter if you're... A Stephen about to be martyred and stoned to death by a Saul who's holding the jackets. Saul who will later write half the New Testament, two-thirds of it. The end is written. God wins. doesn't matter what happens to us today, tomorrow, next week, next year. God is true to his word. His word has got it right every single time. And he's never failed. And he never will. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Hope United. You can stay connected with us through our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages.